So we're in Sashin, gathering the mind, the scattered mind, gathering it back to right here, right now. We give ourselves to this practice moment by moment for this short time we have together. How many people were not here the other day uh, when we had the first episode of this teaching in Houston? Okay, so a brief overview of that, that evening in order to make sense of the rest of this teaching. We talked about um, these three types of self because this, uh, this Zazen uh, manual by Menzan Zenji is um, called the self-enjoyment samadhi. What do we mean by self? So. There's the interdependent self. Conventionally, what we mean by self, the relative self, is, um, is this impermanent collection of interdependent aspects of body and mind experience. That's the way we can think about ourselves. We're, we're a collection of bodily experience, um, feelings of pleasant and unpleasant, conceptions and perceptions of the world, <coughs> conditioned habitual patterns that make our personalities unique due to our conditioning and uh, our conditioned, uh, impermanent, dualistic consciousness, the, the mind that arises in dependence on the world and as the world of experience changes, the consciousness changes, and there's a new one. And there's eye consciousness and ear consciousness, nose consciousness, tongue consciousness, bodily feeling consciousness, and mind consciousness. So all of these aspects of body and mind are impermanent, they're conditioned, means they're dependent on the previous experiences, and they're dependent on other people's experiences, and they're dependent on these fans spinning, these bamboo growing, and the sun, the stars, and the moon. And, but this particular experience that we think of as ourself is, it, is unique and personal, we could say, but it's interdependent. This is the first type of self uh, in this conceptual story, this model of three selves. And the second type is um, when we um, mostly unconsciously imagine that this collection of impermanent, interdependent uh, array of experiences that we call ourself is actually um, not an array. It's one singular entity called me. And it's not um, uh, impermanent and always changing it seems to be lasting, and it's not interdependent. It seems to be independent, and uh, it's not arising with everything else, but it seems to be separate, and um, <clears throat> separate, fixed, small um, entity living in this world of, um, of, of stuff that's uh, kind of either benefiting me or harming me. That kind of like um, small, kind of separate, independent, singular, permanent self. We imagine something like that. When we, if we look for it, we can't find something like that. All we find is the interdependent stuff. Or, or the second type of self. We imagine that there's some entity like that, some singular, permanent, independent entity that's the owner of our body and mind experience. <clears throat> And we say, this is my body, this is my mind, these are my feelings. And then if someone were to ask, whose are they? Say, mine. Well, who's that me that has a body? I'm not sure. When we look for it, we can't really find a kind of an owner of our experience, a manager of our experience. But we feel sometimes as if there is such a, an entity like the little fixed being at the control panel that's like, you know, pulling the levers and, and saying, 
go this way, no, go that way. No, you did it, so, that was so bad. Oh, no, that was good. It's kind of like, we could almost call it the commentator. The commentators like seems to be this, this other being kind of like standing on our shoulder or something that's like, Kokyo, you're, you're messing up. It's really just part of our interdependent experience, but we feel like maybe there's some entity like that that's, that's really who I am, that has a body and mind and manages a body and mind. So this is kind of subtle even to talk about, but it's something, it seems to be something other than the interdependent body and mind experience. It seems to be something in addition to that, it's related to it, but, but more limited. Some entity called me, and uh, <clears throat> this type of independent, separate self is uh, what the Buddha's teachings are saying. We should really look into this and, um, and come to see that we can't find such one because it's, it really causes us a lot of trouble, the second type. The first type is just what's happening. It might seem like trouble sometimes and not trouble other times, but it's just what's happening, it's okay. <coughs> the second type seems to be like where self-judgment comes from, where other judgment comes from, and where arrogance comes from. I'm better than everyone else. What do you mean? There's just this, we're all interdependently arising with different skills and, and conditioned patterns, but it's not really like better or worse, but this, but this little entity self seems like it's assessing itself in, in comparison to others all the time. So that's the second type of self. And then the third type is, um, we might call the true self, uh, is actually um, unchanging. It is, it is the nature of our present awareness, <coughs> which if we look carefully, uh, investigate, we find that our very ordinary awareness right now actually doesn't seem to, um, in, in, its, in its actual nature, it doesn't seem to have arisen at a certain time and it doesn't seem to end. It seems like it's always the same. So in that sense, it sounds a little bit like the second kind that seems to be a permanent entity, but this is not an entity. It's an unchanging space of present awareness. And uh, it also seems to be um, unconditioned. It doesn't arise and cease dependent on conditions. So in that way, it also seems a little like the second type of self, but, um, but again, it's not an individual separate one. It's more like um, an all-inclusive self. In fact, we might even say we all share the same self. It's kind of impersonal, but at the same time, it is in a way um, independent in the sense that it's unconditioned. And, uh, and it's unchanging. And in a way, it's singular because there's not a bunch of these true selves. There's like one true self. We could say that we all share. And in that way, it's a little like the second problematic self. But again, it's not an individual, separate um, entity, singular entity. It's only, we could say singular only because there's nothing other than it. There's nothing at all outside of it. So it's a little bit like the second type of self. It's a little bit like the first type of self in that the first type of self doesn't really, um, isn't really creating the problems. Uh, it's the second type that seems to create the problems. But it's different from the first type in that it's not, it's not arising and ceasing dependent on conditions. It's just like empty open space, like, like outer space, we could say is unconditioned. It's just always the same, and it has no boundaries or location. Space is said to be uncompounded, maybe even unconditioned. So our own awareness is like this, in a way. So that's the third type. This is the kind of overview. Can you follow that story, kind of? So, and then the other day, um, when we were talking about this, Kanjin Roshi asked them, which of these three types of self-practice is Zazen? And I said, well, maybe we could say all three of them. Definitely the, in, the interdependent self is the one that's like, walks over to the Zendo and sits on a cushion and has an intention 
to be present, an intention to let go of, of all our, our complicated thinking. Um, so that's an interdependent self, is doing zazen. And sometimes the second type of self is like, how am I doing in zazen? This is really bad zazen. Um, everybody else's zazen is better than mine. You could say, that one's sometimes sitting in zazen, but we don't need that one. <laughs> that one's kind of extra. It comes in, it kind of, it sneaks into zazen with the first type of self. But we, um, you're welcome to you know, leave it on the shoe rack with your shoes. If you like, and just bring the interdependent. And the third type of, of zazen is the one that it's always the case all the time, 24-7 for all sentient beings. So in that case, uh, it has to come to zazen. There's, we can't exclude it. It's, um, our, our awareness is, is inescapable. And this third type um, of self is, uh, we could say, especially the one that we're talking about, that Menzon is talking about in this essay, I would propose. <clears throat> we're, we're trying to clarify this third type of self and, um, and be this third type of self in zazen, as zazen, as like that's the action, the zazen instruction is to get in touch with this, with our true self. And this true self um, that is just this basic um, awareness, a little different from the dualistic consciousness I mentioned earlier that's arising and ceasing dependent on objects. You could say this one um, isn't, isn't um, divided into a subject and an object. So it doesn't arise dependent on objects. It's just present, open, and aware. And what we call objects or experiences are just um, arising within it, within the space of awareness. And they are arising as the space of awareness. The colors that we're seeing right now, the sounds that we're hearing right now, the bodily sensations we're experiencing are um, are not something outside of awareness. They are awareness um, taking the form of colors and sounds and bodily sensations and feelings and thoughts. In other words, there's no separation, no difference even between awareness and the world that's appearing within awareness. The world that we're experiencing, if we look very carefully from a kind of sort of very open-mindedly outside our usual box that thinks my consciousness is over here and the world is outside of it. If we open to the possibility that um, this world may be appearing within awareness, there's nothing outside of awareness, <clears throat> then uh, we can come to see that what we call the world is just another name for awareness. Now, this is quite profound way to look at uh, experience, but we can open to it. May we open to it over these next couple days. <clears throat> so, uh, like I mentioned the other day, that this true self is, um, shows up in the Zen teachings, and sometimes when they use the word self in Zen teachings, you don't know which of the three it is, and they don't say this is self number one, two, or three. Um, but sometimes it's referring to the first or the second, often the second, and uh, sometimes the third in these Zen teachings. So I would propose that, that here's a teaching of Dogen Zenji, our uh, 13th century founder in Menzan's lineage, talking about what I would say is the true self. <clears throat> so um, Dogen says, this is an, uh, an essay by Dogen called Only a Buddha and a Buddha. Dogen says, to seek to know the self is always the wish of living beings. We could say that um, it's talking about like the second kind. We should come to know our delusion so that we can let go of it. Could be, but as you hear, as we listen more and more, it seems like, I don't think he's talking about that one. To seek to know the self is always the wish of living beings. However, those who see the self and I think that the translation here says the true self. Those who see the true self are rare. Only Buddhas know the true self. So I think this is, seems to be talking about this third kind of self. People outside the way, outside of Buddha Dharma, regard what is not the self as the self. 
Maybe that's referring to the second type of self. They regard this entity that's standing on our shoulder that's going, Koko, you're really messing it up. That we regard that one as our true self. That's not right. On the other hand, what Buddhas call the self is the entire earth. That's an unusual kind of self, right? Thus, there is never an entire universe that is not the self, with or without our knowing it. Whether we know it or not, the entire universe is the self, the true self. So that's a teaching of non-duality, big mind that's so big that there's nothing outside of it. The entire universe not only is, is appearing, being experienced within ourself, but it actually is ourself. And again, not in an interdependent way. We could understand it like that too. Of course, this body and mind is, is interdependent with the, the trees that I see and the, um, the world that I think of here. Yes, that's true too, but I think this is saying something even more profound. It's not just that I'm interdependent with the world, more that I am, I, big I, am the, the world, the whole universe. Like there's no, it's two different names for the same reality. So that's obviously not a small, constricted, individual, separate entity kind of self, because we are all, each of us is, is the whole universe. So our, our self in this way is, uh, is the same. The first two types of self uh, are different for each of us. The third type is the same. We might say that the second type of self is definitely different. I mean, the first type of self, the interdependent one is definitely different we're in, because that's how we're interdependent with each other. The second type of self, this projection, imagination of a, of a singular, permanent, independent entity, separate entity, that one in a way is kind of the same. In the, I think the way the Buddha teaches is that we all do this imagination in kind of the same way. It's an illusion, it doesn't really exist, but the illusion is kind of the same for each of us. And then the third type of self is exactly the same, because if we were to create any possible difference between our true selves, then there would be boundaries and edges and locations and dependency. And so. so these are some stories as background to this essay by Menzan Zenji called Jijuyu Zamai. And we're going to chant at noon service today and tomorrow a um, writing by Dogen called Jijiyu Zamai. So that's where Menzan's getting this title. So when we chant that, you can see like, if it seems related to this teaching. And Jijiyu Zamai means self, receiving, employing, or functioning, samadhi. And as I mentioned the other day, when you combine this um, receiving, the Chinese character for receiving and employing, put them together as a compound, they mean enjoyment, enjoyment or fulfillment. So um, it's the self-fulfilling samadhi or the self-enjoyment samadhi. I kind of like the word self-enjoyment samadhi. as long as we remember that the self here we're talking about is this third type of self. It's not just this, the meditation in which Kokyo is enjoying himself. I mean, he might be or he might not be. <laughs> and you might be and you might not be. But this true self is always enjoying itself. Enjoying itself because um, there's nothing to impinge on it. There's nothing outside itself to disturb it. And, what, is, and what, what we might call disturbances arising within it, from its point of view, these disturbances are itself. So um, unless it gets confused about that, these disturbances are just its own nature um, arising as what we might call disturbance. So it's still enjoying itself as it manifests as disturbances, what we call disturbances. You could say from its point of view, the point of view of the true self, these are not disturbances, they're just, they're like waves arising out of its ocean-like nature. So, Menzan Zenji says a lot of things in this 
in this essay called Self-Enjoyment Samadhi. Um, so it's too long to read it all. So these are some highlights. The Buddha's awareness called the wondrous mind of nirvana is perfectly and always quietly illuminating itself. That's how it's said by Menzan Zenji. The Buddha's awareness, also called the wondrous mind of nirvana, is perfect and always, it's always, even when trouble is arising, the, the Buddha's awareness is always quietly, because it's just, it's like empty space, it's not noisy, it's illuminating itself. Therefore, please understand that Zen is just a provisional name for this, for the Buddha's awareness that's always illuminating itself. Sometimes we call it Zen, but that's just a provisional name. This self-enjoyment samadhi is called, so now he's going to list all these different names for the self-enjoyment samadhi that we're talking about. And um, I just, I like this because um, it's all these names that, that uh, for, for Zazen, different types of meditation that some of you might be familiar with. And if you're not, um, don't worry about all these details, but just know that this self-enjoyment samadhi can be called many different things. It's not limited to this name. And I like this list because it's all these different types of samadhis and meditations that we hear about in Zen. So when you hear about these different, different meditations, you might think, wow, this is going to be a lot to like, learn how to practice all these different types of samadhis and meditations. <clears throat> um, we're going to have to do each one at a time. We'll need a new sashin for each one. But he's going to say they're all the same thing. They're just all these different names for the same thing, which I think is a great relief. Then there's only one practice we have to do. So self-enjoyment samadhi is called uh, the treasury of the true dharma I, the wondrous mind of nirvana. In Japanese, shobo genzo nehan myoshin, which is, comes from the story of, uh, of Shakyamuni Buddha sitting with the assembly on Vulture Peak and he held up a flower, and the people in the assembly were like, huh, isn't he going to give a dharma talk? But Mahakashapa, his disciples, smiled when the Buddha held up the flower, right? And that's the, that's the first transmission of Zen. And, uh, and then the Buddha said to Mahakashapa, I have the Shobogenzo Nehan Myoshin. I have the treasury of the true dharma I, the the wondrous mind of nirvana, and now I entrust it to you. So that's where that phrase comes from. So that's another name for self-enjoyment samadhi. Uh, it's also called unsurpassed, complete, perfect awakening. Anuttara samyak sambodhi. Wow. It's like the Buddha's awakening under the Bodhi tree. It's also called the, um, the storehouse of radiant light. The great storehouse of radiant light, the Dai Komyozo, which is a term that um, Dogen's disciple Ejo uses. He talks about the, the storehouse of radiant light, Samadhi. Samadhi is another word for present, present settled meditation. It's also called the um, innumerable meanings Samadhi. So this is. Um, a name of a type of samadhi in the Lotus Sutra. It's also called the Jewel Mirror Samadhi, the Hokyo Zamai, which is the name of, of a samadhi by Dungshan. And I think we're going to chant that tomorrow morning, the Jewel Mirror Samadhi. We don't have to learn the Jewel Mirror Samadhi as in addition to the self-enjoyment samadhi, because according to Menzan, they're all the same thing with these different names. It's also called the, the king of samadhis, samadhi. Zamai, o zamai, from the Prajnaparamita sutras. It's also called the, um, the storehouse of Vairochana samadhi from the Avatamsaka sutra, from the flower ornament sutra. 
So all these great sutras talk about these different samadhis, and Menzan's saying, actually, they're all just what I'm calling self-enjoyment samadhi. And he says, this is the essential function of all the Buddhas and the functional essence of all the ancestors. <clears throat> That's a quote from um, Hong Jur, the silent illumination teacher that Dogen is, praises exuberantly. Understand this clearly and believe that this self-enjoyment samadhi is dropping off body and mind, body and mind dropped off. Shinjin Datsuraku. Dogen's teacher Ru Jing taught that saying. All of these terms taken from the various teachings of the Buddhas and ancestors are names for the zazen that we practice. So when I first heard this teaching a long time ago, I was, um, I was actually really happy about that. <laughs> you might feel like, well, that's just a bunch of names, but you know, I'd heard about these names and I'm like, I guess I do have to learn all these different practices. And uh, they, must be, they must be all slightly different since they're these samadhis with different names. So I really rejoice when I heard, actually they're all the same thing. They're just expressed in different ways. I don't know if everyone would agree, but Menzan says this. So um, skipping down, I say some, he says, if you were to encounter such a true dharma in the infinite eons of transmigration in the rounds of birth and death so, and all these lifetimes in samsara if you were to ever come across such a dharma as this even one day of your life would be more precious than millions of years without the true dharma this is kind of like pep talk like this is really great this is like makes your life meaningful and it'd be better to have one day of hearing about and practicing this teaching than millions of years without it. It's a strong statement if we really take it to heart. So, devote yourself diligently to this samadhi, cherishing every second. <coughs> it's also a tall order for zazen. Cherish not every period of zazen, but every second. It may be hard to do this, but, um, but we can aspire to like moment by moment give ourselves to zazen. So we might wonder, um, well, how do you practice this samadhi? We're just hearing about how great it is and how it includes all the other samadhis. So Menzan says, now I will explain in detail the way to clarify and rely on this samadhi. And again, when I first uh, read this teaching, in that book, Heart of Zen. By this point, it's, you know, it's about 10 pages into the essay or so, talking about how great it is. I was like, finally! <laughs> He's going to explain how to um, clarify and rely on it to practice this samadhi. And like, give us the method, Menzan. Where you, you encouraged me enough. I'm like, sounds great, let's do it. And here's the method. This is done, this clarifying and relying on the samadhi, is done simply by not obscuring the radiant light of the self. And when I first heard that, I confess that I was a little bit disappointed. I thought the method was going to be a little bit more understandable, a little more practical maybe. But um, over time I've come to really appreciate this, this teaching of Menzam. And um, of course he goes on from here too, but uh, that's the main heart of his method, which at first I thought, that's not a method. That's not clarifying in detail the way to practice it. That's just a, one of those abstract Zen statements. <clears throat> so that's why we can unpack it a little bit. The way to clarify and rely on this samadhi, this kind of presence, this kind of zazen, is uh, simply not obscuring or hiding or uh, clouding over the radiant light of the self. In Japanese, the jiko komyo, the radiant light of the true self. And Menzan didn't actually make up this phrase. As, he's, as he's, you can see, he's pulling these titles from all these Chinese and Japanese and, and Indian um, names for meditation. Um, so, uh, Jiko Komyo 
the, the self's radiant light is uh, originally a saying from the Chinese Zen ancestor Changsha, who said, um, the entire universe in ten directions is within the radiant light of the self, like we were talking about. If the radiant light of the self, or the true self, is another name for radiant light, like space, but bright knowing space, illuminating space, uh, is a name for the self. So the radiant light of the self is our, our, our ordinary, spacious, all-inclusive awareness right here and now, the one with which um, we're listening to these words. <clears throat> but then Changsha says, the entire universe in ten directions is within the radiant light of the self. It's not outside of it because the radiant light of the self doesn't um, have any edges with which there could be anything outside of it. In order to, for there to be anything outside of it, it would have to have an edge. And like space, it doesn't have an edge. Changsha says, the entire universe in the ten directions is within the radiant light of the self. And in this poem, the next, he also says, the entire universe in the ten directions is the radiant light of the self. He offers, Changsha offers these two different versions. The entire universe in ten directions that we are experiencing is actually the radiant light of our bright knowing, ever-present awareness. So that's the, uh, that's the basic Zazen instruction for self-enjoyment samadhi. The self-enjoyment samadhi is simply not obscuring the radiant light of the self, true self. And, and radiant light is another, is another name for um, knowing awareness, because our, our knowing awareness um, illuminates the world of experience, and it illuminates itself. As, um, as, uh, as I mentioned, the, the, the first sentence that I read from Menzan, the Buddha's awareness, this wondrous mind of nirvana, is perfect and always quietly illuminating itself. So this light, the radiant light of the self, it illumines itself and it illumines the world. <clears throat> so Menzan continues, when the radiant light of the true self is clear, you, follow, you don't follow dullness or distraction. When the radiant light of the true self is clear, in other words, it's not obscured or hidden. You, your meditation doesn't fall into dullness, which it sometimes does, right? Dullness is like we get sleepy and murky and uh, <clears throat> um, the light seems to be dimming. But uh, when the light is clear, we don't fall in, the meditation doesn't fall into dullness or distraction is the opposite of dullness, like agitation, restlessness. These are the kind of two hindrances to, um, to clear zazen. Clear, present, open zazen. If we notice we're starting to, to get dull, uh, hazy, sleepy, too relaxed, then um, we can open our eyes wider and let the light in and um, kind of um, open to the radiant light, the clarity of radiant light a little more. And if we get agitated and distracted, we can uh, make sure that our breath is really settled in the lower belly and breathe in a really full, deep, and relaxed way. And because and, uh, <coughs> agitation is also kind of seems to be clouding or blocking um, the radiant light, both dullness and distraction. And in between those is just present radiant light. <clears throat> so the third ancestor of Chinese Zen, Song San, who wrote the Song of the Trusting Mind, the Xin Xin Ming, he said in the Xin Xin Ming, it is empty, clear, and self-illuminating with no exertion of the mind's power. So, Menzan singles out this line from this early Zen poem as a, as a kind of trying to most concisely describe this type of meditation. It is empty, clear, and self-illuminating with no exertion 
of the mind's power or like mental effort. This, this um, samadhi, this present awareness is empty and by empty here we can understand it as it's empty of any uh, location, it's empty of any edges or boundaries, it's empty of any um, coming and going, and it's empty of graspability, like we can't get a hold of it. It's always here right now. We, this, we are swimming in it, where it's not even hidden, right? It's, it, we're aware right now, so our present awareness is it. And this present awareness, if we look carefully, is empty of, of these qualities. Like, it's, we can't find an edge to our awareness. We can't find a location of our awareness. We can't find um, a rising and ceasing of our awareness. We can't, um, <clears throat> we can't get a hold of our awareness in any way. We, it's not an experience that we can get a hold of. It is the nature of experiencing that's one way we can understand what empty means. We hear about emptiness a lot, but this is a, a kind of experiential way of talking about emptiness. Ungraspable. And um, this awareness is like that. It's empty. Like, like space is empty of boundaries, location, coming and going. But it's not just empty, it's clear. means like it's knowing, it's, it's aware and knowing. It's empty, like space, but unlike space, space doesn't know anything. But our awareness is empty, and it's, it's knowing, it's aware, it's cognizant. So um, that's what is meant by clear. And it's self-illuminating. means like our awareness is, is illuminating the zendo, illuminating these sights and sounds. It's illuminating the bodily sensations and the feelings and thoughts but it's also simultaneously illuminating itself, like the light of the sun illuminates the, the whole world, but it also illuminates itself. So our awareness is illuminating itself, and uh, we might say, well, what does that mean? Or how can we prove that? And uh, we could say, well, do we know that we're aware? If I were to ask you all, are you aware right now? Wouldn't you answer yes? You know that you're aware, right? You know that you're aware. Do you have any doubt that you're aware? <laughs> you don't have any doubt, right? I'm, I'm kind of like imagining that you don't have any doubt, that you're just basically aware, not like you're super concentrated or something, but you're just aware. So if you say, yes, I know that I'm aware, you could say that, that is, and what is, it, what is it that knows you're aware? What is it actually that knows that you're aware? You, you do know you're aware, but what is it that knows that? What would you say? Awareness. Yeah, it's the awareness. Aware. Exactly, exactly. It's awareness knows that it's aware. There's not some other person on your shoulder that's saying, yeah, you're aware. It's, it's actually, if we, if we look and examine this carefully, it's the awareness itself knows that it is aware. And that's what I would propose this word self-illuminating means. It's... it's um, our awareness is aware of the sights and sounds of the room, but it's also aware that it's aware. Because as soon as we stop and check, am I aware? Yes, of course. And you can say, even before we stop and check, awareness is already aware of itself. Stopping and checking just kind of confirms that awareness is self-illuminating. It's other-illuminating and it's self-illuminating. But then we heard earlier that what we call other like that, this whole universe is just awareness. So maybe strictly speaking, awareness doesn't really illuminate anything other than itself. It's only illuminating itself, but while it's illuminating itself, it can also take the form of this green bamboo and this humming air conditioner and this like uncomfortable legs and these like thoughts and doubts and everything, every possible experience. So um, the third ancestor said, it's empty, clear, and self-illuminating with no exertion of the mind's power. In other words, you don't have to make your awareness empty, clear, and self-illuminating. It's naturally always this way. Even when we're totally distracted, our awareness is, em is still empty. 
And it's still clearly knowing. It's knowing distraction, you could say. And it's self-illuminating. It can't help be this way. Um, it doesn't take any exertion or effort to make awareness be that way. So I think, I think, he, I think Menzan picked a great line of this poem, the Xin Xin Ming, to uh, <clears throat> describe this self-enjoyment samadhi. I think that line really nails it. So remember, this is, he's just trying to simply explain the samadhi, but he's, <coughs> he's, quoting, he's quoting Zen ancestors to do it, like the radiant light of the true self, and another quote is, it's empty, clear, and self-illuminating with no um, effort of mental exertion needed to make it that way. And then Menzan says, this is the vital point of the practice and verification of this samadhi. And this practice and verification is this term Dogen uses about our zazen practice. It's a practice that simultaneously verifies reality. It's not like you're practicing zazen, practicing zazen for a long time, and eventually, at the end of all this zazen practice, you'll have this verification of awakening or reality. Dogen says it's not like that. Practice and verification are not two, are non-dual, are simultaneous. A moment of complete, wholehearted practice is simultaneously a moment of verifying reality. It's not going to come later, after practice. It's going to come simultaneously with a moment of complete practice. So uh, <clears throat> Menzan says, this is the vital uh, point of the practice and verification of the samadhi, of this kind of presence. And then he, he um, takes apart this quote from the Xin Xin Ming. It is empty, clear, and self-illuminating means that the radiant light of the self shines brightly. No exertion of the mind's power means not to add the illusory mind's discrimination to this reality. When you make mental struggle, or you make, try to make this effort to make the mind this way, the radiant light becomes illusory mind, and the brightness seems to become darkness. This is profound teaching. When you don't make mental struggle, in other words, when you don't try to create this, this empty, clear, knowing awareness, if you don't struggle to try to create that, then the radiant light, um, or, then, or then the darkness of delusion itself becomes the, uh, the self-illumination of the radiant light. This is similar to the light of a jewel illuminating the jewel itself, or like the light of the sun or moon illuminating everything. Mountains and rivers, human beings and dogs, equally without differentiation or evaluation. <clears throat> so the sun is illuminating humans and dogs, mountains and rivers, but it's also illuminating itself. He doesn't mention that here. And it illumines everything equally without differentiation. I think it, I would understand that means like, um, maybe the Buddha's illumination can tell the difference between a human and a dog, but it doesn't judge like the human as more important than the dog, like that, or that mountains are nicer than rivers and so on. <clears throat> it doesn't judge that way because everything it, that appears is equally the radiant light of the self. Uh, Menzan says, also, it's like a mirror that reflects everything without bothering to discriminate amongst the different images. I like that. Without bo the mirror doesn't bother to say, like, I like, um, I like the red color better than the blue color, or vice versa, or something. It doesn't, um, it just reflects everything equally. It doesn't, and not discriminate, I think, means, like, not to really judge better and worse. But it may be, a mirror can still, here it's reflecting some blue and here it's reflecting some red, but it's, it's um, so in that way you could say a mirror kind of discriminates. It, it can tell the difference, but at the same time everything that appears in the mirror is, is completely equal simultaneously. Isn't that how mirrors work? 
In this self-enjoyment samadhi, Menzan says, just keep this radiant light unobscured without being concerned by discriminating the objects of experience into like better and worse and so on. <clears throat> so that's, I would say, the heart of this essay of Menzan is this, this section where he clearly he clarify, tells in detail how to clarify and rely on this samadhi. So um, we can come back to some of this and we can, he's going to keep clarifying it more, but that's the gist of it. So um, before we close, um, this might bring up lots of questions, but are there any p- parts that like, really didn't make sense in this? Or how you might actually practice zazen in this way? Any questions? Yes. Do you, would you say that um, <clears throat> you have to go through the body to, um, to um, actually study this third um, self that, um, that non the mirror might? Yeah, yeah. Do you have to go through the body to study this third self? Um, I would say a more like you go through this spacious awareness to study the body because the remember the whole universe in 10 directions includes the body our but the experience that we call the body is included within this awareness so um so this is saying uh we might hear first whatever's happening in the body first um to step back into the sense of are we aware and this is one method by the way that Menzan doesn't say, but some of you have heard one of my favorite methods for just getting in touch with this to make it a little more even practical method is asking yourself anytime during the day, but especially in Zazen, is awareness present? Am I aware? Is there experiencing? Just not like some special awareness, some special concentration, but just is, is there any awareness at all present right now? To ask it as if, as if we don't know. You all confirmed earlier that awareness is present, but, um, but we, we forget because we're engaged in the content of awareness. So we can stop and ask, we're sitting in zazen, what am I supposed to be doing? I'm thinking about, this is like not working. I'm like, that was way too abstract. What's the practice? Oh yeah, yeah. Is awareness present? Don't, don't be too quick to say yes, but check, stop and check. Yeah, actually, yeah, it might be pretty quick. Once you get used to asking, but of course awareness is present. Yes, it is. But when you ask and and verify the presence of awareness like this, you can feel, I feel, there's a little shift of perspective. You might not, you might barely notice it, but you engage in the content of awareness, and then you ask, is awareness present? It's like you disengage a little bit from the content and you step back into the space of awareness. So part of the content of awareness is what we call the body, the experience of sensation in the body, energy flowing through the body, pain and pleasure arising and ceasing in the body, constantly changing. So um, we could say, I'm really uncomfortable here in this, this body, and we're mindful of body. There is a, such a practice. We can, that's good, a good practice. And here we can um, particularly, like, whatever's happening in the body, is awareness present? So we almost step back a little bit from the experience of the body in order to verify the presence of awareness. And then we're in a slightly different perspective. We're in a more spacious perspective. Now we can ask, how is the body doing now? Well, the body is these, these pulsating legs. Um, seems like, like I'm about to jump off my cushion. I have to move. And like, it's excruciating. Well, where is that happening, those legs? Down there! No, no, no. It's not down there. It's just happening in this unlocated space of awareness. This sensation, this pulsation we call the body. It's not like our idea of the body. It's a direct experience of body. And, um, and from the point of view of the awareness, or like this mirror, it's, it can make the discrimination that this is what I'm calling actually like very painful bodily sensation, but it's not discriminating in the sense that it's a really bad thing. It's just like, this is interesting. This is like this pulsation 
of the legs like this. I've never quite had an experience like this because usually when it's really uncomfortable, I just move, but I'm sitting in Zazen, so I'm not moving, but is this okay? Is awareness present? Is it okay with awareness? Yes, because that's one of the key things here is that from the point of view of awareness, which is our true self, everything is really okay. <laughs> Maybe this is the most important point. That from the point of view of awareness, which is the only true point of view, actually, that um, everything that's happening within it is it, and therefore it's like uh, truly okay, with the capital O, okay. Right? It might be like, this is really painful, and I, this is really problematic, and there's these, these things in my life and in the world that really need to be addressed. Yes, yes, that's, that's, we're not denying the relative experiences, but at the same time, they're held within this really big okayness. That's why it's called this, the wondrous mind of nirvana. So, yeah, so the body, we don't have to enter the awareness through the body, but we could enter the experience with the body through awareness, but we could also enter awareness through the body by like, if this is the dominant thing, these legs are really hurting, what do you mean awareness? Like, this is what's happening, these legs! You know, and then, so there's, here's the body, and then we could ask, the way we enter through the body is, we're very much in touch with the body experience. Now, what is it that's aware of the, this extreme sensation in the legs? That, that would be entering the radiant light of the true self through the body. We start with the, this intense sensation and then step back again in the same way. What is it that's aware of the sensation? Oh, yeah. There is an awareness of the sensation that is not judging the sensation. So that would be entering through the body. And there's some relief in the Relief in the body? Yeah, then there's some, like a release, oh. a release and a relief in the body. And um, when you that's, why I, that's why I thought you asked the question, do you go through the body? Yeah, if re there's relief, especially in, in um, realizing that there is awareness of the body, right, like that. Discovering this ever-present awareness, rediscovering again and again, ordinary awareness. We, and now we're, if we are this awareness, we have a, like a different point of view on the body, and that is a great relief to the body. Or maybe at least somewhat of a relief to the body. It still might be like, oh, my legs are still really hurting. It doesn't make the pain go away, but it's a different relationship to the pain. That if I, I am the awareness, rather than I am this painful body, that's a different kind of self. Right? And one is more relieving. Yes. Yes. I wonder if uh, another angle, especially given that the true self can't be, is an experience, Yes. Rather than asking, am I aware? You know, I'm, I, I'm here, I'm in pain, and I'm dull. But if I confirm, take heart, awareness is here. I mean, it, it seems like it would, it feels... Yeah, I would say same thing, mm -hmm. different way of saying it. Yeah, I'm, I'm dull or distracted and in pain, but um, awareness is here. And so, so my question of, is awareness here, is basically to get in touch with that. But you don't really need the question if you just remember awareness is here. The question makes it really specific, you know, for if, if, um, if this seems like a really new thing, like to ask, is awareness here? And you're right that we don't find it. We won't find it as an experience if we ask, is awareness here? Well, there's colors and sounds and bodily sensations and thoughts here. Where in that mix is awareness? Is it, is it over in the right or the left? It's not like, it, it's not an experience, and yet, so that's one of the hardest things, I think, for us in this practice, when we ask, is awareness present, we're looking for it as another experience, but it's not one. It is the, it is the space in which all experience is happening. So if we keep remembering that, we can then ask, is awareness present? Yes, it is, but it's not, a, it's not an experience. I, I can't get a hold of it, and yet, I do know it's present, which is also something you can really reflect on how unusual it is to be able to say really confidently, 
I know awareness is present. There's no doubt about, a, about the fact that awareness is present. But what is it? Actually, I can't really say what it is. I know awareness is present. Well, can you get a hold of it? No, I can't get a hold of it. Where is it? I don't know where it is. You know, we can't, we have all these questions about it, but it's vividly apparent at the same time. It's very unusual. Because it would say like, is, it, is this watch present? Yes, where is it? It's right here. I can give you the GPS coordinate of it, you know. So I, I can sit, tell you all about it. It's, it's this color and this color, and it's made of plastic and metal. But um, we, know, we, know it's, we know there's a watch, and we can describe all its, its location and, its, and what it's made of and so on. But is awareness present? Yes. We're even more sure, we could, just as sure of it as we're sure that the watch is here. But we can't describe it in the way that we can describe a watch. We can be totally confident that awareness is here without any doubt, because it is, <laughs> every moment. And, um, and at the same time, like, I actually don't know what it is. I can't really describe it fully, and it has no location, therefore it's not an experience. Yes? Does your first self and second self have a relationship with the third self? Ah, good question. Did the first and second self have a relationship with, with the third? I mean, because third? You, 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 um, you've been studying this, this third self. Yes. So, you, you, for a while now, so you have a, a relationship with it, or you kind of know it? Kind yeah, of know it? relationship might not be quite the right word, because remember, it's not related to anything, or dependent on anything else, because it's all-inclusive. So that kind of answers your question, right? The first two selves must be arising within the third self. So is, is that a relationship or is more like they're just appearing within it? You could say within it, but even in a more non-dual way, you could say they are it, just like Changsha says. The entire universe in 10 directions, which includes the dependently arisen self and the imagined separate self, is within the radiant light of the true self, and then even more radically non-dual. The entire universe in 10 directions is the radiant light of the true self. So you could say <laughs> that the dependently arisen self is an appearance arising within the true self, but it is actually nothing other than the true self taking the form of this individual collection of body and mind. And this illusory self you could say the actual, the actual separate entity of true self doesn't exist at all, but the imagination that it does, that imagination appears within the uh, true self. And, it's, and that imagination of the false self, its nature, its true reality, is nothing other than the true self. Isn't that quite something? <laughs> I mean, hopefully you can... You can you can um, open to the experiential aspect of what, what we mean by this. It's not just some weird non-dual talk, right? This is awareness. And then within awareness, I really feel like I'm this separate, cut-off individual. Where, what's aware of that thought? Awareness is aware of that. And actually, that thought is a kind of manifestation of this boundless awareness. This suffering, constricted thought is actually its true nature, and it's very, what it's actually made of is the true self. So that's a teaching relationship, no? A teaching relationship. How so? What's that mean? Wait, because then you're, you're, the more you practice with that, the more you're uh, understanding what you just described, mm -hmm. that the, the mm -hmm. first and the second self, the relationship that it, they all, with, this third self, which yeah. is, it's included in, in, in it, yeah, yeah. and all those things um, that you mm -hmm. are developing yeah. from, from the practice. Yeah. yeah, we can develop the understanding. The understanding is kind of conditioned and dependent on these conversations and our zazen and so on. And at the same time, the true self is never developed, right? It's like, it's always perfectly complete. <laughs> It's, there's nothing to improve or diminish. It's just, it's just illuminating itself 
beginninglessly, endlessly, uh, no matter what experience is happening. But in the realm of experience, we can develop our understanding. Yeah. So this is good. We can keep we can keep going with this. Hopefully, you have something to work with in zazen. I mean, you probably already had something, but you. But here's Menzan's zazen instructions of our lineage. Um, might be a little different than when you first get zazen instruction. They don't just say, um, "Well, just be the radiant light of the true self." They said, "Like, have a good posture, follow your breath." These are like, these are almost like preliminary methods. Yes. Yes, Heart of Zen. This is, this is Menzan's um, uh, teaching is coming from this Heart of Zen. And it's, we won't be able to go through all of it. So um, you can read it on your own if you'd like. Yeah. And it's freely available on the World Wide Web. Which is another name for um, the interdependence of everything. <laughs>